Hello, everybody, and welcome to the July 27th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to start our Monday show with just something I found a few minutes ago. This is from Politico. It's my constitutional freaking right. Black Americans arm themselves in response to pandemic protest. Again, this is from Politico. When coronavirus lockdown spread nationwide in March, millions of Americans flocked to their local grocery store and wholesale markets to stack up for what would become months stuck at home. Black Americans did the same, but some had another addendum to their shopping list, a firearm. <laughs> wow, it's almost like what I've been saying on this podcast for the past week. That if you want to, if you are in actual danger, okay, and I don't mean someone's trying to steal from you, now that's bad, that should be stopped, but that's not really actual danger most of the time. You're still going to make it out relatively fine, and someone can return the item to you later. An authority figure can return the item to you later, or give you an equivalent amount of money. Okay? However... If you are being raped, if someone is trying to rape or kill you, the fact is, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Okay, and that's one thing I've been talking about with all these Donald Trump ads that show America under Joe Biden's of crime and chaos. Well, wait a minute. Uh, the police can't magically appear at a door. Typically, a gun is a better option. It is. It is. It genuinely is. And I'm happy more and more people are realizing that. Since the beginning of the pandemic, there has been a growing interest among African Americans in arming themselves as, as evidenced by increased membership in black gun owner organizations. Are those I didn't realize those were even a thing. Huh. The interest ballooned in the wake of George Floyd's death. Exactly. <laughs> I love that so much. I just love that so much. Guys, I just love that. I really do. I really honestly do. Which reignited debate about public safety and the role of police in black communities. Sensationalization stereotypes about black Americans and guns, however, are also being used by critics of anti-racism protests to justify security crackdowns in urban areas, many with large black communities. Um, but those people, by the way, are totally not racist. They're just worried about their security. Despite the fact they spent the past, well, century trying to make it as easy as possible to own a gun. Now, when the black people own it, there's an issue. <laughs> and, I mean, really, guys, really, at the end of the day, if you want to look at a policy with a history of racism, it is gun control. It is. That was the first policy the Ku Klux Klan ever endorsed. And I forget the exact uh, date it happened. I think it was in 1896. A Florida, if I'm not mistaken, Supreme... I know it was in Florida. I forget the exact context of it. No, a Florida state Supreme Court justice basically said, yeah, the laws were entirely designed to make it so black people couldn't get guns. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. actually directly applied for a concealed carry permit in Alabama in 1959. He was denied, despite meeting every single requirement written down, except the one that wasn't written down, which was you had to be a white guy. I mean, seriously, that's what gun control typically was. It was a racist, progressive policy. 
which at the end of the day fits a lot of progressive policy. Shane Killian has done tons of videos about this, about eugenics in the progressive movement, about how other policy, the only other one I can really explain right now is minimum wage. Of course, if you ask Shane Killian, he can go through literally every single progressive policy and explain how, yeah, in some way or another, the idea was eugenics because the progressive movement was born out of the eugenics movement. That's just an objective fact. Okay, that's just an objective fact. Theodore Roosevelt himself wrote a letter to eugenicist Charles Davenport in 1913 basically saying the guy was the greatest thing ever. And don't forget, Adolf Hitler wrote a letter fawning over the United States eugenics program, and it was um, another progressive, William Howard Taft, who was the chief justice when Buck v. Bell was decided, which determined that states could engage in eugenics, it was a matter of public health, and of course that meant sterilizing the mentally disabled up until the 1970s. Seriously, that's how long this went on for. Um, to ru the rush to purchase weapons and ammunition is not unique to one race. Most Americans across the board are arming themselves, including those who are not legally eligible. But gun control is totally going to work, guys. Uh, however, new black gun owners see firearms that will both empowerment and self-defense. Philip Smith, president of the National African American Gun Owners Association, said the organization's annual membership has increased by up to 2,000 new members per day, a figure he used to see annually. His organization has grown to more than 30,000 members this year and has an online following of nearly 90,000. The influx of interest in gun owning and seeking membership in black gun owner organizations began as soon as the pandemic set in. Fears of a damaged economy, disrupted supply chain, and slow-moving federal response inspired people to take up arms. And yeah, this is just funny because one of the main arguments pushed by gun control activists is Oh, well, you people who are against gun control are just racist. Wait, I don't know how you connect those dots. Really don't. But if you are against gun control, you are racist, apparently. Not sure how you get from point A to point B, but you may be able to. You may be able to. Uh... <laughs> No, I'm sorry, but as it stands, the fact is it's the most eugenics policy on the books right now was gun control. Okay, and that's why we're now seeing more African Americans take up arms and hopefully be able to self-police in response to police brutality. Which, yeah, I would like that. I like self-regulating communities. I do. And you know what? If African Americans can find a way to do that, I'll be on board with it. I'll be on this podcast talking about how great it is. Seriously, I will. I will. Because the idea is actually very appealing. It is. And you know what? If more people can get behind it, then that's just great, in my opinion. Especially considering the Obama-era CDC found that guns save about 3 million lives a year, about, I think that'd be about a percent of the population, more than a percent actually, are saved by guns every single year. Now think about that next time you hear somebody say that guns kill people, which, 
I mean, technically, that is accurate. Guns can kill people. So can anything. Anything on this planet can kill a person. I could take a pillow, which you probably have tons of in your house, and suffocate you with it. What is that? More people are killed by hands and feet than by um, than by guns. Meanwhile, what am I supposed? To, are we supposed to cut off people's hands if they can't pass a background check? Are we gonna go full Sharia law? I don't even think Sharia still does that. It might, depending on the country. I don't even think Islamic law still does. That's like some 13th century. Not even that. That's like the Inca did that, the Mayans did that, and I'm sure a couple other nations did, uh, and tons of nations have. I think the Egyptians were the ones who popularized eye for eye, tooth for tooth. However, either way, the point is, what are we going to do? If we applied this to anything else, it would be cruel and unusual punishment. Um, but no, I could theoretically kill you. Here's a phrase I commonly think of. The fact is, if somebody truly wanted you dead, you would be dead, okay? Statistically, most people die in the home. Mr. Enter once broke this down. The fact is, your house can kill you very easily. I already mentioned I could suffocate you with a pillow if I truly wanted to, okay? I could take a knife. You probably have a knife in your house, and I could stab you with it. I could push you off your roof onto a concrete, onto the concrete ground. And I could go on and on and on about everything in your house that I'm not going to use to kill you because you've never done anything wrong to me. But I could. I genuinely could. And so that's how I always think about topics like guns. It comes down to, because the truth is, they are a tool, and you cannot properly regulate them without harming law-abiding citizens. And it's the law-abiding citizens who are the ones that need guns the most. The ones who are never going to have an accident. The ones who know how to handle them. Okay, not the Homer Simpsons of the world. No, it's the people who responsibly use them, who you might not even know have guns. That's how I think about it. Um... So yeah, I am very happy about this. I genuinely am very, very happy about this. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, seriously. And I, you know what? I hope this trend continues. I really do. I, now I'm not a gun guy. I don't know any guns. I really don't. I don't know how to use them. But you know what? If you do, the fact is you are probably also helping protect me indirectly. So I am not going to go after you. In the slightest. Anyway, um, so, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Police brutality is still an issue. There are protests all over the nation. The Department of Homeland Security is being sent in to big cities. And Josh Hawley knows the real issue. A 40-year-old Supreme Court decision. This is from The Hill. Hawley will only back Supreme Court picks who have said Roe v. Wade was, quote, wrongly decided. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Josh. Wasn't one of your first campaign ads when you were running for Senate in 2018 related to the attack against Brett Kavanaugh? Brett Kavanaugh, who, by the way, at the time said he had full plans to go along with Roe v. Wade. 
So basically, you're full of shit. <laughs> That's what it is. That's the first thing you should think of when you think of Josh Holly is he's full of shit. Uh, but let's actually read what Holly had to say. Again, this is from The Hill. Senator Josh Holly said Sunday that he would only vote for a U.S. Supreme Court nominee who believed that the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, which found access to abortion to be part of the constitutional right to privacy, was incorrectly decided. I will vote only for Supreme Court nominees who have explicitly acknowledged that Roe v. Wade is wrongly decided. By explicitly acknowledged, I mean on the record before they were nominated. Holly, who has not yet had the opportunity to vote on a nominee at the high court since his election in 2018, told the Washington Post. Of course, of course. Uh, Josh Holly, by the way, I have said this before, I'm going to say it again, is a total fraud. This is the guy, one of his big issues when he got into Congress was sex trafficking. Okay, he wanted to crack down on sex trafficking. I remember he once posted that sex trafficking wasn't illegal until 2000, and I was just sitting there thinking, oh man, it's too bad that we didn't have laws against kidnapping and rape before 2000, otherwise that statement might be meaningless. Um, and I should also note there are a million and a half issues with setting a president like this. The Senate can just decide that, oh no, sorry, we want established law to be overturned. We're only going to accept nominations that will overturn established law. The fact is, and Holly should notice, he went to law school, if the pro-life movement really, really wants to reverse Roe v. Wade, we get a constitutional amendment. That is the only surefire way. And they've been trying on and off since the 70s, and that's been failing. I've pointed this out before, but if you go into, I forget what building it is. I think it's the National Archive in D.C. There's a place where you can see um, all the failed constitutional amendments. And it's an amazing list, might I add. It is an absolutely amazing list. It goes, like, up to the ceiling. That's how high it is. I couldn't even read all of it without, like, the world's longest ladder. And even then, I don't think that's how ladders work. Probably just tip over. Oh, no! Uh, I was trying to see the uh, failed constitutional amendments of the 1910s through 1920s, and now I'm dead. <laughs> but a lot since the 70s were right to life, and those failed. So what the pro-life movement wants to do is essentially, they just want to. They don't want to go through the same method the abolitionists went through, despite the fact they constantly compare themselves to abolitionists. Instead, they want to cheat the system. That's what it comes down to. They want to cheat the system. And it should be absolutely disgusting towards every American. And I mean every American. And, you know, Josh Hammer likes to say, oh, well, we're taking the view Lincoln held against uh, Frederick Douglass. First off, no, you're not. In fact, that should be the only point. No, you're not. Lincoln ha completely worked within the boundaries of Dred Scott v. Stanford. He only freed slaves in Confederate states because that was the only um, slaves he could free. Okay? And that's why we specifically had a 13th Amendment. If I ask Josh Hammer what the 13th Amendment was and why it was ratified, you think he's going to know or you think he'll be incredibly dishonest? I'm genuinely curious. Uh, <laughs> and now, and by the way, this is Josh Hammer's favorite comparison, but Josh Hammer looks like... Uh, Watto from The Phantom Menace, so no one really takes what he says seriously. He does edit Newsweek, though, and 
their people are taking him seriously. I don't want private insurance from candidates. I don't want to hear about their personal views one way or the other. I'm not looking for forecasts about how they may vote in the future or predictions. I don't want any of that. I want to see on the record as part of their record that they have acknowledged in some form that Roe v. Wade as a legal matter is wrongly decided. And for the record, this would not actually work the same way Josh Holly think it th thinks it would. Um, do you know who has acknowledged that Roe v. Wade was wrongfully decided? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Not making that up. I, I talked about that in Ramblings of a Madman. Yeah, she acknowledged it was wrongfully decided. She did. Uh, so Josh Hawley would vote for him, for her. He wouldn't vote for people like Clarence Thomas or Samuel Alito, who did not acknowledge that before they were a nominee. So immediately, there's a million and a half issues with everything Josh Hawley says and believes, because Josh Hawley is a silly person. And you really think he's going to stand by this? You guys really think he's going to stand by this? I mean, he's probably not going to vote for a Democratic nomination, but again, this is the same guy who, one of his first ads was defending Brett Kavanaugh, who specifically said he wanted to work within Roe v. Wade. Okay? So immediately, that creates a million and a half issues that Josh Hawley just refuses to acknowledge. Josh Hawley, if you were in the Senate in 2018, would you have voted for Brett Kavanaugh? Yes or no? That should be the next question asked. And if he says yes, he should be asked about that statement immediately. And if he says no, he should say, why were your ads defending him? That's how a conversation with Josh Hawley should go. That's how it would go if we actually had any halfway decent journalists in this country instead of the ones we have now who just ask politicians the most vague questions known to man and then go, hmm, write down the answer and leave. That's journalism in 2020. That's been journalism for years. I think Bill Maher said it best back in 05. Don't call the media liberal or elite. Call them what they are lazy. That's what they are. They are absolutely, positively lazy. And they would much rather, by the way, write these snarky articles, fact-checking Donald Trump, giving him six poopy Pinocchios or whatever, because that's what he is, instead of talking about how the Patriot Act is being was being renewed and how there was a new amendment to strip online privacy completely. And, for that matter, the other million and a half issues going on in our nation. No, they'd rather just fact check some statement Donald Trump offhandedly said on www.twitter.com. And that's what it comes down to. That is modern journalism. It is absolutely pathetic. The standard for me applies to Supreme Court nominees, whether they're sitting judge or whatever. Uh, if there is no indication in their record that at any time they have acknowledged that Roe was wrong. At the time it was decided that I'm not going to vote for them, and I don't care who nominates them. Again, Kavanaugh, that is all. Uh, that is my entire response. That is my entire response. It's Kavanaugh, that is all. Anyway, uh, the Lincoln Project has a new viral ad out. We just released this today. It's a minute long. I'll play the thing, and then I'll break it down. It involves a Navy SEAL who looks very similar to Charlie Sheen, a really young Charlie Sheen, but that, that's literally the only thing I can think of when I see this guy is Charlie Sheen. Uh, <laughs> talking about Donald Trump, just, just watch.
My name is Dan Barga. I'm an ex-Navy SEAL turned emergency room physician and the founder of Veterans for Responsible Leadership. I'm an American combat veteran and a conservative. I don't agree with Joe Biden on many issues, but one thing we agree on is that we are a nation of laws and the Constitution is a sacred document. It's a document that I fought for and some of my friends died for. Protecting our freedoms and the rules of the game is a fundamentally conservative act. President Trump shows no such respect for the Constitution. He and his cronies disrespect freedom of assembly, due process, and states' rights. Joe Biden will conserve the Constitution. He will conserve the rule of law. He will conserve the American dream as we've promised it to our children. Trump is weak. Trump is not conservative. But he's the most easily fixable problem in America today. A vote for Joe Biden in this election is a vote for our Constitution. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. One of my biggest issues with never Trumpers is pretending like no issue. Every president before Donald Trump, both parties, was this ideal model of America. No, no. The Lincoln Project, which just said that Trump disrespected states' rights, is named after the same man who, for its time, Respected what was quite possibly the most well-known states' rights, the right for states to secede from the Union. And the fact is, there were documents taught in law schools up until the 1850s that said that states had the right to secede from the Union. Okay? So there's a little bit of hypocrisy going on there. And for that matter, you want to talk about disrupting freedom of assembly. Well, that was a common tactic done by Republicans during the Bush administration. Remember, there was a giant protest plan. They'd outlaw protesting. Then wait for it to get struck down because by that point, hey, the protest is gone by, everyone's arrested, you stop the protest successfully. I don't know, that's one thing that bothers me about Lincoln Project Republicans and never Trumpers in general, truth be told, is that a lot of them really only take issue with Donald Trump because he's more open about it. If he was more secretive, if he wasn't as vulgar, they love him like they love George W. Bush. They loved Ronald Reagan. Uh, Bill Crystal thinks Donald Trump is a or the crimologist from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. My bad. I get them confused sometimes. The crimologist uh, thinks that Donald Trump is too goth-prone for his taste. Meanwhile, he was chief of staff to Dan Quayle. Think about that for half a second. And, you know, I'm really only going off on it in regards to this ad, because this ad is kind of the amalgamation of that issue. However, as it stands, as it stands, I do genuinely think, of, will this ad convince anyone? That's a big question. Um, and there have been Lincoln Project ads in the past that I do think would genuinely convince some Trump voters, most notably on weaknesses that he campaigned on, because Trump never campaigned on states' rights. He never cared about states' rights. When throughout his campaign did Donald Trump care about states' rights, of all things? There are a large section of Trumpers right now who want Donald Trump to arrest democratically elected mayors and governors who do things they disagree with. Seriously. I think that's utter nonsense, and you cannot do that. However, that is a commonly held view. For that matter, another one is mentioned is freedom of assembly. You really think Trumpers have ever cared about that? I mean, they love it when it's 
their freedom of assembly to give each other COVID-19. And when they don't love it, when it's anyone else, it's anyone else. I mean, these were the same people. So you guys might remember this. Uh, when the Black Lives Matter movement started up, and mind you, when it started up, it was mostly peaceful, okay? No, actually, they were terrorists. Same thing with the Women's March. Uh, rebel media went out of its way. Lauren Southern's of Rebel Media went out of her way to make sure she found as many violent Antifa people as possible, ignored the vast majority of peaceful protesters who were just marching. Because Madonna said that, I, Madonna noted, um, pyrotechnics expert Madonna said that she'd thought about blowing up the White House or something. Uh, <laughs> what else? Uh, let me think. Oh, and who could forget the Occupy movement? The one that was, again, almost entirely peaceful. Those guys were getting pepper sprayed. I mean, pepper spray nonstop. And Sean Hannity said it was proportional. These people don't care about values. Half of them want Donald Trump to declare himself a dictator. Because at that point, the only way you can really convince those people is by ignoring them to death and making it clear that view is not acceptable. The fact is, if you believe in dictatorship or monarchy, you do not have the right to vote, as far as I'm concerned. I normally don't support things like that. But if you don't believe that the rest of the population have the right to vote, you shouldn't either, as far as I'm concerned. Put your money where your mouth is. I'm being dead serious, if you believe in monarchy, if you're one of those liberty hangout people, you should not be allowed to vote in any election. Because after all, monarchs didn't vote. Monarchs didn't hold elections. So you get to bring the country a little bit closer to what you want. That's what I do. I campaign for that. I campaign on that. But no, no, we can't do that because the Lincoln Project is under this kind of delusional thinking that, and mind you, a lot of Trump supporters are genuinely good, principled people. I want to say that right now, okay, before anyone quote minds this. However, there's a sizable chunk of them, the 80,000 that if they flipped, Hillary Clinton would have won, certainly have a good amount of this. I'm not saying swing voters specifically are this. I'm saying if those people didn't vote for Trump, Trump would have lost. It would have, it could have, it would have completely overrid the 80,000 votes that, again, if flipped, Trump would have won, or Trump wouldn't have won, and Hillary would have won. There are people in those 80,000, okay, that are genuinely white supremacists that are supporters of dictatorship. I mean, Donald Trump's the man who praised Saddam Hussein on the campaign trail. You guys remember that? I do. Said he, said he was honoring, uh, he goes to the 7-Eleven Memorial, or he was there on 7-Eleven instead of 9-11 in New York. And by the way, on 9-11, he was bragging about how this meant his building was the tallest. Like, this is not a man people like because of principle. It's a man people like. In large part, enough people like him for him to win at least. Because they agree with the views of people like Steve King. Because they agree with the views of people like Richard Spencer, who is, seems to have mostly turned on Trump at this point. And that was fun to watch. Who agrees with the views of people like Jason Kepler. Okay? 
And, the, and again, again, before anyone quote mines this, oh, who am I kidding? They're already quote mining this. I'm not saying every single one of the 60 million Americans that voted for Donald Trump is a racist or a fascist or a dictator supporter or whatever. I'm saying enough of them are. The part where if those people didn't vote for him, he wouldn't have won. And I feel that is a completely provable statement. Okay? Again, 80,000 voters needed to flip. You really think that there aren't 80,000? A laughably small percent of people in the country? Less people, that's like a fifth of people, less than a fifth of people who live in Wyoming. I think that's actually less than a sixth of people who live in Wyoming are white supremacists. Yeah, I'm going to say that because we live in a giant country where those views are going to get some ground just based on pure numbers. Okay? And the Lincoln Project refuses to acknowledge that, and that's why I genuinely feel a good number of their ads will not go anywhere. At least, that's how I view it. That's how I view it. Anyway, Joe Rogan, on a recent episode of his podcast, said some comments about video games. And I'm not a big modern video gamer. I do play retro games every now and again, but I'm not a big capital G gamer. But with that said, I noticed some flaws in this statement that I wanted to respond to, so here's the clip. And video games are a real problem. They're a real problem. You know why? Because they're fucking fun. Addictive. And you don't, yeah, well, I'm, I have a real problem with them. And you, you, you do them, and they're real exciting, but you don't get anywhere. Right. It's like you could do, like, like martial arts, right? You could learn jujitsu. You get obsessed by jujitsu, and then three years later, you're you're like an elite jujitsu athlete. You're like you're entering in competitions. You're a purple belt. You're moving up. Yeah, you're doing well. Right. You're thinking like I might be able to open my own school one you day. Got confidence. Yeah, if I have a hundred students and those hundred students are paying me X amount of dollars per month, I can make a living. Holy shit, I can have a. This would be amazing. And then you see your jujitsu school, and your jujitsu instructor has all these students and drives a Mercedes, and he's got a nice family, and like that's the future. This way. You're doing something exciting and fun, and you don't. Or you could just be playing fucking video games. Three years later, you could be that same kid just playing video games, waiting for the next Vix, whatever the fuck game is, you know, next Xbox game to come out, and you're gonna waste your time. You now, I, I just want to say there are a lot of people where Rogan is absolutely right on. I'm not kidding. There, I'm going to explain in a minute how it's not as many as Joe Rogan probably thinks, but there are tons of people who he's absolutely right on. Playing video games is a waste of time. And do you know what? I play video games on occasion. Again, like I said, I play retro games. I play ROM hacks. I play Flash games as well. And I'm perfectly aware that's a waste of my time. I could be writing a new book. I could be learning a new language. I could be discovering a cure. No, instead I'm playing video games. And you know what? I'm fine with that. Just as I'm also fine with watching a movie instead of doing those, or reading um, a novel. I don't really read novels, truth be told. I read mostly nonfiction, so that example doesn't really apply to me. But reading something like Last Words by George Carl, which I'm never going to use the information in. I'm never. Or reading anything by comedians. I'm usually not going to use the information in that book. Okay, I'm just reading it because I find it funny. Or watching a stand-up comedy special, or listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. I could be listening to, well, Joe Rogan has had some informational guests, but the vast majority of Joe Rogan's guests, you're not really learning much. 
going to be useful in the real world, even the ones who are interesting, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, the fact is, I'm probably not going to use particle physics in my day-to-day -day life. I'm just being entertained. And that's fine. That is fine. And for those people, people like me, it is a complete waste of time, and I won't deny that. Maybe I'll tweet about and get a new follower. There, that's my contribution to the world. However, I want to talk about uh, Rogan's example, specifically comparing this to if you um, get taught jujitsu, and three years later you open a school. First off, most people who are taught jujitsu do not open schools to teach other people. If that were the case, the market would be completely flooded and it would be worthless. Uh, I haven't seen a market get flooded this fast since the video game crash of 1983. Oh, so many orphans. That was a reference for you. And by the way, watching Aspen Hotel, that was me wasting 30 minutes of my life. And I loved it, so I'm fine with that. <laughs> I loved Aspen Hotel. And you know what? I'll watch everything that Middlepop puts out. I'll even review it on Medium, which may give me some new fans. So maybe I didn't waste my time. Who knows? Who knows? Um, however, however... Oh, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the PewDiePies of the world who made, I think it was like 2018, he made $11 million off of YouTube. I think it was, I know, I know it started off with like $4 million was the first time I heard a figure. Then like a year later, it was $11 million. And mind you, there are some PewDiePie videos that I genuinely did think were really funny. I haven't watched him in like five ever. But no, there were a handful of videos I saw of him. That I admit, he has some talent. I think there's a reason he's gotten so popular. He's got over 100 million subs now. He's a millionaire. A millionaire. But not even those examples. Not even those examples. Because those are the obvious kinds of people. You know, your PewDiePies, your Markipliers, your Jacksepticeyes, your Tabuskuses. Not, not them, okay? I'm talking more of the smaller known people. Um, some call me Johnny, for example who I've been following since he had, like, I think it was less than 10,000 subs at the time. It was amazing to see his channel grow the way it did. Or, for that matter, even someone like Josh Scorcher, who does countdown videos. He's made a lot out of video games. Not the only thing he does, but he's done a lot with video games. It's not a waste of time for him. And you know what? It actually helps contribute to the economy, because that's the other thing I wanted to talk about in regards to this Rogan comment, is that it's not just the people you see on screen. I know last time I checked, Josh Scorcher had hired five editors for his video, okay? Five different editors. I know Digibro, who does anime videos, has an editor who he pays. Um, so right there, not only are you making something out of your life, but you are potentially making something out of another person's life. You're creating jobs, if you will. Josh Scorcher, job creator. I want that to be his Twitter bio. <laughs> Just job creator. <laughs> Somebody send this clip to Josh Scorcher. Uh, don't tell him it's Ephraim, though. And mind you, I know a lot of really small gaming YouTubers who have... It's not their main thing, even. They don't even use YouTube as a full-time job like a lot of the bigger guys do. But they're still making some money from... YouTube, from video games, from Twitch streams, you know, people like the Retro Replay, for example, who you should have all checked out years ago, but you're not ready for that conversation. Uh, <laughs> you know, someone like that, who is still making some money, 
Not a great amount, but it's enough where he could buy a new video game. <laughs> or, for that matter, he could buy, I don't know, he could afford a vacation every now and then. That kind of, that kind of change. Yeah, that's still something. That's still something. That is still somebody who is not necessarily just wasting his time. As much as he is developing a legitimate hobby and getting monetization off of it. Remember Lewis from Brain Scratch Commentaries once said that, yeah, Brain Scratch is essentially his hobby fund. Okay, well, that means that he can spend money he does get from his job on more resources, on maybe a bigger house, or maybe um, a vacation every now and again. I don't know, something like that. Something like that. That is still, I'd say they're definitely not wasting their time. Not in the slightest. I would say that they are, in many ways, contributing to the economy. Because, let's be real here, if Lewis didn't get that money, what do you think you do? Just not buy things. That is contributing to the economy in some way. And you know what? I would not call that a waste of time. I really wouldn't. Now, in my opinion, a waste of time, and again, there are tons of people who just play video games as a waste of time. I'm one of them. I don't make content based around video games most of the time. Um... However, at the very least, there are way more people who are doing it not as just a waste of time, but as a way to express their passion in a way that actually helps contribute to the economy than Joe Rogan would possibly realize. And you know what? That's not his fault. He can't know every single minor YouTuber or someone who I'm sure has as busy of a schedule as he does. With that said, though, that said, though, this statement is still incredibly ignorant on Joe Rogan's part. Anyway, to end this off, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said the following about the violence in Chicago. Chicago, which may I remind you, may I remind you, Chicago has consistently been one of the most violent parts of the country. She knows how to stop it. It's the exact same thing Democrats have been trying for decades now and haven't worked. But that's only because not enough people are doing them. Oh, that's only, that's only because of it. Uh, the fact that gun control heavy areas have more crime than non-gun control, that's just a coincidence. That's just a coincidence. Clearly the answer is everyone needs to adopt gun control, despite the fact that whenever it's tried, it doesn't actually work. Well, I mean, that's classic Trump hyperbole. I sent him a letter on Monday outlining the very specific things that the federal government is uniquely qualified to help with, starting with common sense gun control. The fact of the matter is our gun problem is related to the fact that we have too many illegal guns on our street, 60% of which, 60% of which come from states outside of Illinois. We are being inundated with guns from states that have virtually no gun control, no background checks, no ban on assault weapons. That is hurting cities like Chicago. That is the thing that if the president really wanted to help, that and the other things I identified in my letter he could do today, tomorrow, but he's not really interested in helping in that way. So, uh, a lot of this is wrong, and I mean objectively so. Uh, first off, the fact is you kind of summed up the main problem with gun control, most notably that illegal criminals are going to get guns anyway. That's just an objective fact. There's a sticky thread in the Bogosity forums to perform Shankillian runs, specifically about the black market for firearms. And there are people with basic equipment you could buy at Home Depot 
making very making guns that would be illegal in the U.S. and selling them to various terrorist organizations and gangsters. I'm not making that up. I am not making that up. Okay. Now, as it stands, as it stands, what is specifically wrong about Mayor Lightfoot's claim? Well, a variety of things. Most notably that, for one, every state has background checks. In fact, background checks are required federally. Yeah. Oh, no. That's kind of an issue. Uh, <laughs> for that matter, most crime is committed with handguns, not assault weapons. And by the way, assault weapon does have a definition. It was established in the Assault Weapon Act, or Assault Weapon Ban, back in 1994. However, when the Assault Weapon Ban expired in 2004, gun control commentators and supporters warned that that would be the end of the world. Meanwhile, crime continued going down for another 15 years. They were off the mark by a little bit, if you can't tell. But, okay. Okay, so anything else wrong with this claim? Well, those were the big ones. However, other notes include the phrase common sense gun control, as if all other forms of gun control weren't common sense at the time, or weren't considered common sense at the time. Huh. You know... With how common it supposedly is, it's odd so many people oppose it. it. makes you think a little. Oh, how about the fact that there are various restrictions on bringing guns across state lines already? Yeah, they seem to be ignoring that. So besides those four major issues, in a one-minute, in a less than one-minute clip, in a 49-second clip, that's one error, Every, roughly, what, every 12 seconds? Uh, I guess Mayor Lightfoot's claim was mostly solid. I'm Ephraim, and good night.